Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast for People of Hope Church. To learn more about our ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, visit peopleofhope.church. Good morning. Happy Easter. I am so, so thrilled that we get to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. It is not just a spiritual concept, it is a fact in history that God sent his son into the world never to be a victim to the Romans, never to be a victim to some scheming religious leaders, but God sent his son Jesus on a mission to come into the world, to die on a cross, to pay for the guilt of your sins and my sins, and he paid that debt as the sacrificial lamb, but he is not still dead. He is risen. And that is something that we need to celebrate every weekend. Amen. But today, especially as we commemorate Holy Week and the the culmination of all that we've been thinking about and remembering and studying together, it's such a great pleasure to be with each other on Easter Sunday. Easter weekend is um, just that. It's a weekend. You have Good Friday uh, when we commemorate and remember Jesus dying on the cross. You have what's sometimes referred to as Silent Saturday when Jesus is in the tomb. And then you have Resurrection Sunday, which is where we find ourselves today. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, and it'll come up on your screen if you want to follow it there or on your, in your book or in your device that you've got. But we're going to look together at a couple of big chunks of Scripture this morning, some important um, aspects of what's happening. Remember, when Jesus was crucified, it was not just him on a cross by himself on the hill called Golgotha, but it was also with a couple of criminals on his left and on his right. And there's actually, a, if we can back up for a second, there's actually a painting um, that I really thought was interesting, and it's just a, a good way to remind ourselves of what this scene might have been like a little bit out side of the city, elevated up on a hill, and there were three crosses in proximity to each other, right next to each other. There were people down below, all sorts of activity, and this was the scene of Good Friday and of the crucifixion. Now let's jump into Luke 23, and we're going to pick up in verse 32. Luke 23, starting in verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, that's what the word Golgotha means, the place of the skull. It doesn't mean there were a lot of skulls piled up there. What it means is in those ancient days, sort of if you looked at a rock formation and sometimes if you go uh, hiking somewhere, you can say, oh, that looks like a horse's head or that, that looks like you know, a chess piece or something that they looked out on this hilltop, this outcropping and said, wow, that kind of sh- forms the shape of like a skull. That's why it's called the place of the skull. So they went there and they crucified him, Jesus, there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Time out. 
Remember where Jesus was when he uttered the words, Father, forgive them. Jesus was hanging on a cross with nails piercing his wrists and holding his feet together. He had a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He had been whipped and beaten and mocked. His beard had been plucked out. He had been stripped. And he was in this place of absolute abuse. And the words of our Savior are, Father, forgive my torturers. Father, forgive their cruelty because they don't have any idea what they're doing. They don't know what's being accomplished in this moment. Jesus didn't just go, oh yeah, Father, forgive them. In the agony, in the torture, as the blood was flowing and as he was dying, Jesus chose to forgive. This is love personified. And they divided his clothes among them by casting lots. Verse uh, 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. That means they just hurled insults at him and they just made fun of him and they mocked him in this moment. They said, he saved others, let him save himself. It, if is he really the God's Messiah, the chosen one? And the soldiers also came up and mocked him and they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Why were there soldiers here? The religious leaders who sneered were the ones who conspired to arrange for the crucifixion. The soldiers were carrying out the crucifixion. Jerusalem, Judea, this whole region was occupied by Rome. They were this occupying nation and force and army, and there were soldiers everywhere. And you may have think that the religious leaders were kind of in charge uh, of this Jewish land, but no, Rome was in charge. And so the soldiers were the ones administering this death penalty there and they offered him vinegar and they offered him wine and this was a moment where they just made fun of our savior and they said king of the jews look at him a crown of thorns and a terrible death it says in verse 38 there was a written notice above him just to mock him, that says, this is the king of the Jews. And this was Rome sort of showing, here's how big and tough we are. Yeah, you're going to say, this is the king of the Jews? Well, watch what we're going to do. We're going to kill your king. The sign above him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insult at him. Actually, if you read in Matthew's gospel, it says at different times in these moments hanging on the cross, both of the criminals, left and right, were hurling insights at him. But the criminal hurled these insults and he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And so let's talk about his words in this moment and what's going on with him. He's guilty of some crime. We don't know if he did it one time or a thousand times, but he was caught, he was, he was tried, and he is now going through the 
carrying out of the sentence against him. He is losing his life and nails are through his hands and nails are through his feet and he is finding it hard to breathe and he's holding himself up um, uh, on the cross against the nails just to gasp for air. He is slowly dying and the people who have tortured him and who are carrying out this terrible method of execution out of his mouth does not come love. It's just spewing hate, making fun of Jesus right next to him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. That means he stopped him. That means he said, stop it. Be quiet. How can you say these things? Why are you doing this? There's no, this has no place. This is not right. Stop it. That's what a rebuke is. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. He was there in close proximity, hanging on his cross, right next to Jesus on his cross, and he just heard Jesus pray for his torturers, and suddenly he sees Jesus for who he is. And suddenly he knows something the other criminal is not willing to see. This man has done nothing wrong. Look at the next verse, verse 42. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Something in this criminal clicked and he saw Jesus as the Lord, as the King, as the Messiah. He saw him as the promised one come from God for the salvation of the world, the one who had been promised. He saw it and it clicked in and he said, when you come into your kingdom, meaning when you come into your time of reigning as the Lord, when you come into your kingdom, when you have all of your authority in hand, when you come, remember me. This was this criminal's way, spewing out words of faith. Remember me. I believe in you. I believe you are who you say you are. One spewed insults, one prayed for the torturers, and one spoke words of faith. And Jesus replies back to him, I can imagine what it took to maybe turn his head to look at that criminal and all the agony going on. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you. And this is sort of the English translation of what you could say is you can count on it. You can count on it. As you slowly die, you can count on it that you will be with me today in paradise. Today. Somehow one criminal did not see Jesus for who he was and one criminal did. And in some just simple childlike expression of faith, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His simple way of saying, I believe you are who you say you are. That resulted in his salvation. And God included this criminal in a moment of grace. We were just singing the song a few minutes ago and the lyric says, I can see you now. 
I can see the love in your eyes laying down your life. Maybe that's what was going on in the heart of the criminal. The criminal could have penned those words. I can see you now. I may have been insulting you a few minutes ago, but I see you now. I see the love in your eyes. I hear the love in your words. Oh my goodness, who could have forgiveness in the middle of torture? Only the love of God. And he believed. Verse 44, and it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. There was a veil that separated the holy place to the holy of holies from just every ordinary, every ordinary uh, day people just being able to come into the presence of God. They could not be in the presence of God because he is holy and they are not. And in the temple, there was this veil, and to call it a veil it makes it sound thin, and maybe you could almost see through it, but it was actually really thick, and it was massive, tons of, dozens of feet high, and it was really, really a thick curtain. And when he died, the veil split in two, but it split, the scripture says, from top to bottom. So that no one could say there was conspiracy that his followers came in and they got out some scissors and cut it at the bottom to say, look what Jesus did. Look what happened when he died. No, it split from the top to the bottom. So only God could have done that. It says also in this moment, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last he wasn't just unconscious. He wasn't taking a rest. He wasn't just overwhelmed by the moment Jesus died. He died for you and he died for me. He became the sacrificial lamb in that moment. Blood was shed to cover our offenses. But this is Easter weekend, that's Good Friday. Before we move on to Resurrection Sunday and read about the resurrection, I want us to take a moment and to learn a couple of things from the moment with the criminal. I'm going to come up on your screen here, you, here for you right now. There are three things I want you to see uh, out of the experience and the interaction with the criminal. Here's number one. We do not know the story of this criminal's past, but we know the truth of his eternity. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in heaven. One of the things we need to notice here is this criminal who we don't know if he was just unlucky and got caught on the first time he chose to break the law or whether he was a career criminal in a generation of, crim uh, of criminals. We don't have any idea of his backstory, of his past, but we do know the truth of his eternity. And here's what's cool. That's a good reminder to you and to me that no matter what we've done or how many times we've done it, we can be forgiven. Whether we've just sinned once or a thousand times, that doesn't matter. We can be forgiven. And so, friends, there's nobody too far gone out of the reach of the love of God. 
You may be thinking, I've done too much. God would never want to have a relationship with me. There's no way that I could be forgiven. This criminal story is a reminder to us, even at the last minute, even being punished for the real offenses he had committed, he could still find forgiveness. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, God can forgive and wants to forgive your sins. You know what's really cool? (laughs) We were singing this forever he is glorified, forever he is lifted high. It made me think of the book of Revelation. Right now, uh, John's Revelation tells us that right now in heaven, there's some big songs going on. And one of them is, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy to receive glory and power and honor and riches forever and ever and ever. And then they sing it again because singing it once is not enough. Worthy is the lamb. Because Jesus is alive and he is in heaven right now. But you know who else is risen in heaven right now? That criminal who believed. (laughs) You and I get to meet him one day. And his story is going to be, I thought I was done for, and I was getting what I deserved. And then in a moment of torture, the Son of God gave me what I did not deserve, which is forgiveness and grace. I love that Maggie kept bringing up the word grace this morning as she and the team led us well this morning. Grace is undeserved kindness. Grace is undeserved kindness. And we need to learn from this story. There's nobody who's so sinful that the love of God cannot wipe it clean. One day we'll hear this guy's story and we'll stand next to him And join our voice, worthy is the Lamb. The second thing we can learn from the criminal story here is that salvation is not achieved, it is received. Salvation is not achieved, it is received. It's received through the undeserved kindness of God. Here's what I want you to notice. The thief on the cross, the criminal on the cross, he had no opportunity to do any good works, did he? He had no opportunity to obey any laws at that point. He had no opportunity to go out and be a good Christian. He had no opportunity to go and be a good disciple. He, in that moment, you you don't have to earn forgiveness. You simply have to receive it. It's critical. We are not part of a religion. We are part of a movement of grace. Amen? We are not part of a religion where you go and participate in rituals or you go and attend meetings or you go and you follow a list of good things and you avoid the list of bad things. We are not part of a religion. We are part of a movement of grace. And the criminal story shows us it is never achieved. It is received. You and I are made right with God by grace through faith. It's his undeserved kindness toward us and then we believe. And that's how we're made right with God. This guy had no opportunity to do any good works. So salvation doesn't come through good works. You can't earn it. You can only receive it. Number three, the third thing about the criminal 
is that salvation comes through simple faith in Jesus, not deep theological understanding. Right there in that moment of agony, hanging on the cross, this criminal was, was dying, and he did not understand what the incarnation was all about, the Word made flesh, God-man. He did not understand the Trinity. He did not have any concept of, of, of what righteousness meant and how that was different from, from following the law. He didn't have any understanding of all the prophecies being fulfilled one by one. He didn't know how to answer the skeptics or the atheists. He didn't have all the theological training. Here's the deal. He saw Jesus for who he was, and he he believed in him for who he is, and that led to his salvation. So salvation comes through simple faith in Jesus, not deep theological understanding. You may think, I don't know everything. Well, neither did the disciples when they left their nets by the shore and followed Jesus. As a matter of fact, they still had lots of questions. You don't have to understand everything to become a follower of Jesus. You just simply have to know he is who he says he is. And his love for you is what he says it is. And if you follow him, you'll never, ever regret it. Amen? Amen. You don't have to know it all or understand it all. It was a simple childlike faith moment. What he did know in that moment was that Jesus was Lord and King. And there was a kingdom coming. And he was who he says he was. And he heard him say, Father, forgive. That's all he needed. His life was changed. So that's Good Friday. And I hope that those words about the criminal story sink into your heart and your life. Because they apply to my life too. Let's talk about Resurrection Sunday, shall we? Flip over to, to Luke 24. We're going to read just eight verses here in Luke 24. It'll also be up on your screen. But this is the story of Resurrection Sunday. On the first day of the week, Sunday in the, the Jewish culture was the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, spices here, we're not talking about garlic and ginger to make some food. We're talking about spices that were common in the funeral preparation for a body uh, of someone who died. And this was part of sort of honoring the body and the person that they loved. And they would treat them well and they would wash them and clean them. But they would also do the spices and the, the, the different things on there because of the natural decomposition that happens to our flesh and the odor that is produced in all that. And they were going to prepare the body. They had all of these spices and things with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Remember, in the ancient Near East, tombs were not in a, a graveyard with little rows of, of patches of dirt and little headstones. Tombs in this day were carved out of the hillside and out of the rocks. And they would put the bodies in there and then they would seal them with a, t with a, with a stone. And, and it may have been perfectly circular or it may have just been a stone that they could roll over and tumble over several people together, putting it and sealing it up in front of the tomb so that animals wouldn't get in and disturb the bodies that they wanted to honor and remember so that thieves couldn't break in and take any jewelry or precious things that were laid to rest with their loved one. But they sealed the tomb, and now the women have come, and the stone has been rolled away. And this is for a sermon for another day. But listen, that stone didn't roll itself. <laughs> but let's keep going. 
The stone was rolled away from the tomb, and when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, <laughs> that's awfully casual. While they were wondering about this, it sounds like, hmm. No, there was panic going on. What have they done? What have they done with our Jesus? Where is our Jesus? Where is our Master? Where is our Lord? Where is our Savior? Where is our Master? What have they done with his body? He's endured so much. They wondered about these things. This was a welling up of affection and concern and panic. And in the middle of their concern and panic, God moves. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. They stood beside them, and these were angels that came. Angels that that were just giving a little glimmer of the glory of God. I don't know about you, but clothes like lightning doesn't just mean that they were a little bit shiny or they glowed a little bit. They had to probably look away. They were in the presence of angels. And look what is said. In their fright... (laughs) The women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen! Exclamation point. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. I love what the angel said. Why are you looking (laughs) for the living among the dead? Jesus is unlike any other figure attached to a religion in all of history. In the other faith streams of the world, you can go and find a place, a tomb where the body of those leaders are laid. But only Jesus is the one who came back to life and defeated the grave forever. We have in our Jesus one who was dead but is no longer dead. He's alive. And Resurrection Sunday is all about that. There's a tradition that goes all the way back into the ancient of days where someone says, he is risen. And the people say, he is risen indeed. And don't feel left out if you didn't know about that. Uh, For those in younger generations, it's kind of left behind every once in a while. But it was one of those ways to celebrate together. It's Easter Sunday. Let's enjoy this. He is risen. risen And it's the cornerstone of our faith and our hope, that as dark as this world seems, as the monsters still come up and torture, there is one who is stronger. There is one who defeats the worst thing you can think of, which is death. I don't want to die. I don't want to lose this life. I got so much I'd like to do. I even have a list that's, that's for a bucket. I got a bucket list. I got lots I want to do. I want to give my daughter away at her wedding. I want, to, I want to play with some grandkids and spoil them rotten. I want to travel with my bride more. I want to celebrate 
lots and lots of anniversaries together. I want to enjoy what God does in the life of this church. I got so much I want to do. I am not eager to die, but here's the truth. I don't fear death. Because my God conquered death. Hello? Death submits to him. I want us to learn a few things from the resurrection this morning to finish out our time together. I'm going to run through these things with you. They'll come up on the screen. You can follow them along or write them down. But these are absolutely important that you and I absorb these into our hearts on Resurrection Sunday. Number one, because Jesus died and now is risen, I can know God by grace. The hopeless system of religion is finished. All of these things I'm going to give you this morning are how resurrection matters to me, how resurrection matters to you, how the resurrection is not simply historical fact, but it's an absolute game changer in your world and mine. Because Jesus died and now is risen, I can know God by grace. The operative word there, the word to circle there is the word grace. The hopeless system of religion is finished. Remember the... The law came and brought a system that said, you got to be right with God. And when you sin, you're not right with God. And so when you sin and you're not right with God, you've got to offer a sacrifice and you've got to shed the blood on an altar and that blood of the sacrifice will cover over uh, your sin and then you're right with God. And then it's Tuesday. And because you're human, you sin again. And all of a sudden, you're thinking, now i got to go offer a sacrifice. And you kill the animal, and the blood spills on the altar, and the blood covers the guilt of your sin, and now you're right with God again. But then it's Tuesday afternoon. Anybody else? The system of religion is hopeless, not only because there's a never-ending need for sacrifices, because you and I really like sin. We really enjoy some of the things that God said. There's no life in that. Don't mess with that. Stay away from that. There's nothing good for you there. We really like some of those things, and we defy him, and we run after those things, and we engage in those things. And in the old system, gosh, I sinned. Sacrifice to cover the guilt. Now I'm right with God but then I'm going to sin again. There's another reason the system was hopeless, and this is where it was not just hopeless, it was kind of dark. Here's what was wrong. A lot of times, humans, because we're wicked down deep, that's just true of who we are, sometimes you would think, I really want to do that right now, but then you're your heart goes, but that's not what God wants for you, and God has said, don't mess with that. There's no life for you there, and then you think, well, I'm going to go ahead and do it because I can just offer a sacrifice and clean it up. And all of a sudden, the system that was made to help you get right with God after you sin becomes your convenient mechanism for sinning more. That's dark. I'm going to go hard after the sin because there's a sheep in my house that's ready to go. No big thing. I'll just offer a sacrifice tomorrow. And all of a sudden, what was given to us 
like we do with so many things, we twisted it. It was a hopeless system. So hallelujah, that system's gone. Because when Jesus wore the crown of thorns, when Jesus hung on the cross and died, and when his blood spilled on that altar of a cross, he was the once for all final sacrifice for sins. So no more sacrifices are required. Is that good news to anybody? That system is finished by the cross and empty tomb. And Jesus has now come to us and say, it's not about you offering sacrifices anymore. Jesus has already done that. Jesus comes to us and say, now it's about grace. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give this forgiveness to you because I love you. And I paid for what you owed. Because Jesus died and is risen, I can know God by grace grace, that hopeless system of religion is finished. Number two, because Jesus died and now is risen, by faith, everything I've done against God is forgiven, and all that was dirty and shameful in my heart is made clean. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I believe in Jesus, that faith brings on forgiveness. And you may be thinking, but what about that thing I did when I was a sophomore in high school or that thing I did when the summer after my senior year of college or what about that thing I did uh, three months ago that I hope no one ever finds out about or what about that thing? If you believe in Jesus, the grace of God covers even those sins. What about the thing that I did when I was seven and for some reason, I'm still carrying around guilt from that. And some days, even now, into my 40s, I close my eyes and I still think about that. If you believe in Jesus, that's forgiven. And that's not Jesus reminding you of that sin. That's the devil reminding you of that sin. And you need to put that down because that sin was paid for on the cross. Amen? And the devil is trying to torture you with something that you do not owe. And you may think, man, I've squandered so many years. I wasted so many seasons. I wasted so many months and relationships and opportunities. And I've been inconsistent and I just feel dirty and ashamed. I just feel dirty and unclean. Listen, by faith in Jesus, because he died and because he is risen, you can be clean. So that when God looks at you, he sees the cleanness, the righteousness of Jesus, not the track record of your filthiness. That's just true. Number three, because Jesus died and now is risen, the sting and fear of death is removed. For disciples of Jesus, death is simply the doorway to being home with God. Jesus conquered the grave. Death, where is your sting? It says in Corinthians, death. <laughs> You're toast. And you and I, as we live in Christ, if we've been forgiven, if we've been made clean, if we believed in Jesus and we're disciples of Jesus, we do not have to fear death for it is not the end. It is the doorway to being home with God forever. 
That's what the resurrection has done for you and for me. Is that good news? Because we really do think sometimes death is the worst thing that could happen. And none of us are looking forward to it other than the opportunity to be with Jesus. But the sting of death is gone. Number four, two more. Because Jesus died and now is risen, I can be free from the sin that sabotages my life. Its power and grip have been broken. Because Jesus died and is risen, I can be free from the sin that sabotages my life. Anybody else relate to that? The sin that lures me and lies to me and promises to me and it looks so shiny. It looks like it's got so much greatness in it and I believe the lie one more time and stagger down the road of sin and make the choice to sin and then I've got regret and disappointment and consequences. That's what I'm standing in in those moments. And I keep believing it. I keep falling for it. I keep going after the things that do not please God. I keep wandering off the main road, down the road where there is no life, where there is only regret and consequence. But what Jesus did when he died and rose again is he set you free from the have to and turned it into a choose to. You and I, Romans tells us, are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now bound to righteousness. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And in his faithfulness, every time you are tempted, he is also faithful to provide a way of escape. That means when you sinned last night, when you sinned this afternoon... It was not a have to, it was a choose to. But what amazing power comes from the resurrection. Jesus Christ has broken the grip of sin on your life. So you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, well, I've got a certain struggle with a certain sin, and I guess I'll just always have that. I guess I've got no hope. It's just something I have to bear. You know, it's my thorn. Nope, it's not your thorn. It's my burden. Nope, it's not your burden. It is right now a choose to, not a have to. And the good news I want to bring to you on Resurrection Sunday is this, is that if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you can be free from that sin so much so that it'll be in your rearview mirror as something you used to struggle with. So Resurrection Sunday is a day where we go from have to to choose to. Let's move to used to. What do you think? That's good news. <laughs> I am prone to wander. Anybody else in the room? But this is what the death and resurrection of Jesus has done for us. Set us free from the grip of sin on our lives. It's broken. One more. Because Jesus died and is risen, I see that God can do what looks impossible. I have hope in the hard things of life. That's worthy of an amen. Come on. 
Because Jesus died and is risen, oh my gosh, he was dead, but God brought him back to life. Oh my gosh, it looked like the Romans and the Jewish leaders were winning, but God was up to something else. Oh my gosh, it looks like Satan had a victory that day, but God was doing something for eternal victory on that day. And because I see that my God can do amazing things when things look impossible. I can have hope when impossible looking things show up at my door in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. The resurrection gives me hope that whatever comes against you is not the final word. Our God has the final word. Our God has the final word. So what's up against you today? What is causing you to panic and fear? What is causing you to tremble at the size of this threat in your life? The relationship that just has got so many fractures. The situation that looks like it's beyond help. The person in your family that looks like their heart is so hard they're beyond reach. The sickness that's come into your family that looks like no doctor could could deal with it. Can we have faith this morning? Can we have hope this morning that because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can believe our God does the impossible? And we can have hope in the hard things. The criminal on the cross knew what he deserved. And then he saw Jesus. And he wanted to be part of Jesus' life and Jesus' kingdom of grace. What about you? Like all of us, you've sinned against God and you know what you deserve. You are not here by accident this morning. God has brought you into this place to tell you how much he loves you and he sees the guilt of your choices and he says this is how much I love you I gave my only son to pay what you owed but the sacrifice has been made dear one the blood's been shed it's paid in full but I didn't leave my son dead I raised him up to life and I can forgive you based on what he did. You can just receive that. I've got undeserved kindness for you. And just like that criminal on the cross is risen today, you can be risen today. You can go from guilty to clean from bound up in sin that sabotages your life to free. You can go from death sounds so final to the hope of eternity in heaven. One thief on the cross hurled those insults and kept going with them. The other criminal saw Jesus not with magic, special, deep, theological words, just said, remember me, Lord, 
come into your kingdom? Do you need to do that this morning? Do you need to believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven? I'd like to ask everybody to bow your head and close your eyes this moment. I want you to just take a deep breath and let it out. And would you just be thankful to God right now where you sit? Be thankful to God for sending Jesus to purchase your freedom and forgiveness. you thank God that you don't have to earn being right with him. You can just receive it. Would you thank God that that hopeless system is finished? Oh my goodness. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Would you thank God for making you free from the grip of sin. And with your head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you know you have not had your sins forgiven yet, you have not believed in Jesus yet, I'm asking you to do that right now and have your life changed. You don't have to understand it all and know it all. You just have to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that what he did really paid for your sins and believe that he's alive. And if you need to do that this morning and you're ready to do that morning and believe in Jesus and become one of his disciples and have your sins forgiven, it's not too late for you. It's not too late for you. God brought you here this morning for this reason. So with your head bowed and eyes closed, everybody, I'm going to lead a prayer. And if you're ready to do that and you want to ask God to forgive your sins, you may want to just pray this prayer to God as I lead you. Say, God, I have sinned against you. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. And I believe now he has risen to offer me grace. I want to follow Jesus, God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be clean. I want to be free. If you prayed that prayer in your heart this morning and meant that just between you and God, then you have put faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and in the empty tomb. And you are now forgiven. You are now clean. You are now free. And you now have the promise and hope of heaven. You now belong to Jesus. And it's just an expression of faith this morning just as a, a moment of, of sharing where God's moving in your heart. If that was you this morning and you prayed that prayer today between you and God to believe in Jesus and have your sins forgiven, while nobody else is looking around, heads bowed and eyes, would you just lift your hand up so we can just, you and me can acknowledge that? Anybody else this morning? You put your hand down once you lift it up. Anybody else this morning? Who else? This morning was the day I just said to God, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to follow Jesus. Anybody else? Awesome. 
God, we thank you for these who have put faith in you today, these new believers in Jesus. And we can't wait to do life with them now and to help them discover how good it is to belong to you. And we can't wait to be in heaven with you someday together, singing together. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy to receive glory and honor and riches and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen.